This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. The world champion. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. Time for another edition of Green and Gold History with Dave Feldman. Of course, Dave Feldman works for ESPN. He works for NBC Sports. And he works for the Pac-12 Network and also Major League Baseball. We call him our basically our historian here on the A's cast provided by TuneIn. And we've been doing the top 10. Today we're going to do top 10 right-handed pitchers. And there is a tremendous amount of greatness when you talk about A's all-time in Oakland right-handed pitchers. Yeah, we're talking right-handed starting pitchers. Uh, obviously a ton of them. But there are a few that stand out. There's a one that's in the Hall of Fame. And other guys and some names that you're going to remember and some stories. This is a great group of pitchers, great group of, uh, of players in Oakland A's history. Now, obviously, we're always going to see more right-handed pitchers than we're going to see left-handed pitchers. And when we do get to left-handed pitchers, we're going to have some great ones with the A's who have some World Series titles and uh, MVPs and, you know, Cy Youngs. But when you think of right-handed pitchers, the A's have had so many great ones through the years. It's going to be interesting the guys who are left off the top ten. Well, that's the key, right? Because you can only have ten in a top ten list. And any time you look at a rotation every season, you usually have three or four right-handed pitchers. So 50 seasons of that. So you got over 150 normal right-handed starting pitchers we have to go through to decide who's going to be in the top ten. So some guys don't make the cut. You want to hear some of them? This is always my favorite. Who is not in the top ten, but you go, yeah, they were pretty good. So in this case, we're kind of we're kind of grouping. So you look in the early A's uh, when they first came to Oakland. Chuck Dobson was a mainstay in the staff, a right-handed starter. He was very good, very good. Didn't make the list. Uh, move forward a little bit. How about the five aces? Here are three of the five aces who didn't make it: Matt Keogh, Steve McCaddy, Brian Kingman. Early 80s. How about a player from San Jose State? You probably know him. Chris Cotteroli. He didn't make it. Joaquin Andujar. Jose Rijo from the 87 A's. How about our championship years? No Storm Davis. No Ron Darling. No Bobby Witt, whose son was the second pick in the draft. Go a little further. How about Steve Carse and Todd Van Poppel? Those two are always kind of tied together in the early 90s A's. They were going to be stars. Never quite made it. Uh, your mid-90s A's, tough years here. So Jimmy Haynes and Mike Oquist did not make the cut. Now we get back to some good A's teams, but unfortunately no Gil Heredia, no Joe Blanton. Move even further now. The A's get better again in the early 2010s. Unfortunately, no room for Bartolo Colon. No, Barty? No room for Brandon McCarthy. 
and even a little more recently, no room for Jared Parker and for two-time opening night starter Kendall Graveman did not make the cut. <laughs> and then a couple short stays, guys. Great names. Didn't make it. How about Mike Torres? How about Hall of Famer Don Sutton? How about one-year wonder Todd Stottlemyre? And, of course, our friend Edwin Jackson. Those four did not make the cut either. You know, I think about Todd Van Poppel. We remember, you know, you know, from from that that's that's around when I was playing, and he was the number one pick in the draft, and had never lost a game before. He was going to be the next great. I remember he had signed a scholarship to go to play for the University of Texas. You know, talk about the pressure that was on him. He did get to the big leagues. Got to give him credit. The pressure that was on him. He was probably one of the early guys in baseball that people actually really focused on and he had pressure like we'd never seen before well that was the thing is that everyone knew he was going to go to college he was going to go to texas so nobody drafted him so he fell to the a's he fell to the a's i think in the 14th position in that draft so they were able to pick him and then sign him and this is where i think todd van poppel and his advisors kind of screwed him because they signed him to a major league contract which means he had to make the big leagues after three seasons so this is a kid 18 years old. And you're right, in high school, he didn't give up a hit because he was throwing 95 and just blowing these high school hitters away. But you know what? 95 and straight. Well, 95 and straight in professional baseball doesn't fly. People are going to hit that. And he had to learn how to throw with a wrinkle. Now he's got to learn at the big league level because his contract made him be a big leaguer. He was out of options at this point. So he's forced to pitch and learn at 21 years of age how to pitch. And it was just too much for him. And Todd... Uh, he struggled with it, I think. He struggled with the pressure, like you mentioned, and just not having that, that secondary pitch to help him out. Uh, he could have been something. And I remember Bill Rigney, when, when the A's had him, he always thought they should have turned Van Pop into a closer because that's maybe the one place that you can come out and blow 95, 96 and get hitters out because it's always in a short burst. You can't do that as a starting pitcher. And Van Poppel later in his career with other teams and with the Pirates uh, actually had more success coming out of the bullpen. All righty, let's get to the top 10. Number 10. All right, two guys who just missed. This was a tough one. I had to decide, but these two guys did not make it. And that was Rich Harden and Dan Heron, who were very similar with their time with their A's. Didn't make it. So number 10 falls to Trevor Cahill. And you might think that's a stretch, but you think about Trevor Cahill. Second round pick out of Vista High School down there in San Diego. He makes the 2009 opening day rotation at age 21, and has a pretty good year. Wins 10 games, 10 and 13. But in 2011, or 2010, it, it changes for him. He's 18 and 8. He's an all-star. And he's he's Brandon Webb. Remember Brandon Webb with the Diamondbacks won a Cy Young? This, that's what Trevor Cahill was that year. Every ground ball was an out, and he was fantastic. Finished ninth in the Cy Young voting. Now, 2011, he was still getting the ground balls. They were just having to turn into hits. And that was the problem. His ERA jumps up to over four, but he still wins 12 games. This is a mainstay of the rotation. He goes out there every day, works quickly, gets ground balls. The A's trade him after the 2011 season. They trade him to the Diamondbacks with uh, Craig Breslow. Pretty good return. They get Ryan Cook, they get Colin Cowgill, and they get Jared Parker. That's a pretty good return for Trevor Cahill. Uh, he was His big money in his contract for Cahill was about to kick in in that 2012 season, so this made a lot of sense. But this is what puts him over the top, is what Trevor Cahill does coming back last year. The A's do not win 97 games. They do not win that second wild card without the contributions of Trevor Cahill. Trevor Cahill goes 7-4 with an ERA of just over 3.6. Again, 
takes the ball every fifth day. He had one little injury sequence where he missed a couple weeks. But other than that, he was solid. I just think that return to the A's and coming back and putting him in the playoffs last year, that puts Trevor Kale into the number 10 spot. I will say this. When he was traded back in my old talk radio days, I flipped out on my talk show about it. I, I literally was like, what are you doing? He doesn't cost any money. As you said, he's been an all-star. I went off on my talk show about it. I'll never forget that night where, and then I, a ton of A's fans were calling and complaining. To look back now to think that I flipped out over Trevor Cahill, I apologize. Yeah, you know, and everybody was shocked. You know, Brett Anderson, Trevor Cahill, right? They were going to be the, the guys who led the A's rotation, but... Getting Jared Parker, who outside of the injuries, but when he was healthy, was just nails. And Ryan Cook was an all-star, too. Ryan Cook pitched very well. He kind of has a career a little bit like Ryan Dole, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's in the name. But uh, Cook was so good, and then he was so bad, and that's what we're kind of seeing with Ryan Dole. But for a while there, this looked like an excellent trade. A little shocking when it happened, but apologies to Cahill. He came back and proved himself last year. Yeah, Parker with the... Uh issues with the Tommy John surgery. One of the sad things I think of my career, cause I ran into him the last time he was here, he had lost so much weight. He didn't look the same and uh, he's doing well now. And we'll always remember him and winning some big games for this ball club in 2012. All right. Number nine, number nine is one of my favorites. This guy, I just love this guy, Mike Norris. Uh, Mike Norris was part of the, the five aces, the Billy ball years, but People don't remember, Mike Norris actually came up in 1975. He was an A's first-round draft pick in 73, but made his debut in 75, basically taking Catfish Hunter's place in the rotation. Catfish had gone. He had signed with the Yankees. Makes his Major League debut, hits, pitches a three-hit shutout in his Major League debut against the White Sox. Three-hit shutout. Next start, seven innings, two unearned runs, only one hit. Mike Norris is going to be a star. And then he hurts his arm. And he misses pretty much the rest of that season. Doesn't come up to September. And then his next four years, he's just in and out of the rotation. Injuries, uh, just not being able to stay healthy. And even when he's pitching in the majors, wasn't effective. And it looked like this Mike Norris was one of those careers that what might have been if he never got hurt. But then it all changes in 1980. Billy Martin comes in. Art Fowler's the pitching coach. Mike Norris and his screwball go 22-9. and 24 complete games, 2.53 ERA, wins the gold glove. And now, here's something I'm still not over. He finishes second in the AL Cy Young to Steve Stone of the Orioles. Now, Steve Stone had a very good year. He was 25-7, and 3.23 ERA, great year, pitched three perfect innings in the All-Star game. Everybody loves Steve Stone. Mike Norris had a lower ERA, threw more innings, had more strikeouts, walked fewer batters, had a better whip, a better war, and he had 24 complete games to Steve Stone's nine. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me with Steve Stone? And the only reason that Steve Stone wins the Cy Young is three voters. And now at the time, there was only 28 voters. Three voters left Mike Norris off the ballot completely. Not a second place vote. Not a third place. Completely. I'm still not over this. That was a old Memorial Stadium, right? Where the Orioles were playing at that time. The home of Johnny Unitas. Yes. And, you know, Steve Stone, and again, a lot of the Cy Young voting in those days was based on wins. And, yes, Steve Stone had 25 wins to Mike Norris's 22. But just look around. Look at everything else that was going on. To leave him off the ballot completely? It's 
as you can tell, I'm not over it. <laughs> yeah, you're not over it. All right, number, where, where are we, number eight? We're going to number eight. Uh, one more thing about Mike Norris. Again, he, 82, 83, he pitches, gets hurt, then he has a drug issue, ends up going to independent ball with the San Jose Bees, which was this outlaw team in San Jose. Mike Norris made his way back to the big leagues in 1990. He spent half a year with the 1990 Oakland A's. This is the team coming off a World Series championship. Mike Norris pitched for that team, went 1-0 with a 3.0 ERA. Uh, That's a great story, a great comeback for Mike Norris. You're clearly not over it. Number eight. (laughs) Number eight is a guy we see around a lot now, and that's John Blue Moon Odom. And he was a mainstay of the staff when the A's first came here to Oakland. Uh, from 68 to 73. In 74, he actually moved to the bullpen, but he was a two-time All-Star in 68 and 69. Uh, in 72, and this is the year that uh, Vita Blue holds out. So John Blue Momotum is in the rotation, goes 15 and 6 with a 2.50 ERA. A lot of people forget how good John Blue Moon was. Uh, also, how about his postseason? Pitched in 10 postseason games, started four of them, went 3 and 1 with a 1.13 ERA in the postseason was also the winning pitcher in the clinching game of the 74 world series john blue moon odom number eight always representing in anaheim too that's a great thing we have and he comes up for the golf tournament but it's always good to see him down in anaheim when we're down there yeah he's a tremendous ambassador for this team and another guy who went through some hard times after baseball and rebounded and now is just he's a prince of a guy number seven number seven is a former a's first round pick out of vanderbilt sunny gray Sonny Gray, you come in as a first-round pick, as a pitcher, out of Vandy, which is a pitching factory. Uh, and he lived up to the billing that comes with those credentials. And he, he joins the club in uh, 2013, about midway through, comes in the rotation. It's fantastic. Goes 5-3, and three, 2.67 ERA. Starts game two of the ALDS against the Tigers. Only throws eight shutout innings against Justin Verlander. A's win it on the Stephen Vogt walk-off single. So now it's game five, and the A's have a decision to make. Is it going to be Bartolo Colon, or is it going to be the rookie Sonny Gray? And the A's go with Sonny Gray. How much confidence do you think they had in him to give him a game five start as a rookie over Bartolo Colon? Unreal. They pitched well, five innings. Three runs. He gave up a home run to Miguel Cabrera on a hanging breaking ball that we can still see flying out of here. But that's the learning curve, right? But you still had the faith in him. 2014, he goes 14 and 10, 3.08 ERA. 2015, 2.73 ERA, finishes third in the Cy Young. You know what? This guy's going to be a superstar. And then 2016 rolls around, and it's like he's cursed. He gets food poisoning on opening night, misses, misses the opening night start. He's got two arm injuries. It's just not the same. And in 2017, he has a strained right shoulder. He misses some time. And finally, the A's had to make a decision what they were going to do, and they traded him to the Yankees. Um, but for his time here and what he did from those years, Sonny Gray was fantastic. And if, if that 2016 season with the cursed injuries don't come, come about, it might be a different story. Uh, but as we know, injuries play a big part in people's careers, and unfortunately, that's what happened to Sonny Gray. That one pitch to Miguel Cabrera, if that pitch doesn't happen, we're maybe looking at a whole different story with Sonny Gray and his history with the A's. Truthfully, truthfully. I, I just I just always like when you have a draft pick like that who comes in and is just everything that he was billed to be. Number six. Number six is Mike Moore. 
kind of gets lost in those championship A's, right? But Mike Moore was a huge free agent signing. Something the A's, they, they didn't sign a lot of free agent pitchers. They traded for him, and they didn't sign him. But he was one of their first big free agent signing, a four-year contract going into the 88 season, uh, or after the 88 season. And he paid huge dividends. This is another guy, number first overall pick by the Mariners, who actually made his major league debut for the Mariners on this mound at the Coliseum in the second game of a doubleheader. The first game went 16 innings with a two and a half hour rain delay. This game started at 7.30 at night. Just a little history for you from 1981 in the A's. But uh, in 89, his first year with the A's, Mike Moore goes 19 and 11, uh, 2.81 ERA, and then you know about him in the postseason. 3-0, 1.35 ERA, and a huge double against the Giants in Game 4 at Candlestick Park. Dropped off a little bit in 90, but 91, just uh, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, 17 and 12, uh, sorry, 17 and 8 in 91, 17 and 12 in 92. He was just, uh, he was a horse. He was going to give you seven innings out there. Uh, He was worth every penny that the A's paid him. You think he was just overshadowed because of Dave Stewart? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was just that, you know, Dave Stewart and Bob Welch, and just he was the next guy. But Mike Moore, he also had a reputation of working very slowly. And when Mike Moore struggled, he was his pace on the mound was just awful. Uh, but when he was rolling, and he rolled almost all that 91 season, then you saw him work quick and just dominate because, much like Dave Stewart, Dave Duncan taught him the forkball. And that was the third pitch that he needed, and it would just drop off the table, and it was unhittable. Number five. Number five, another one of the aces, and one of the five aces, Rick Langford. And you want to hear some crazy numbers about what Rick Langford did in 1980? He goes 19 and 12. He made 33 starts. He completed 28 of them. 28. How is that possible? 28. He, made, he completed 22 games in a row including in the middle of this, a 14-inning game. Rick Langford would just go out there and pitch, and you couldn't take him out of the game. Think about that. Since then, since 1980, 22 complete games in a row. The longest streak since then is 10 by Burt Blylevin in 1985. No one has even had three straight complete games, three since 2011 and Cliff Lee. And this was talk about your Iron Man, and Rick Langford didn't throw hard. He was a soft-tossing righty. Uh, just trying to move the ball in. A, a perfect inning for Rick Langford was three pitches, three ground balls. That's what he wanted. He pitched to contact. So his pitch counts never got too high, and it wasn't a lot of effort. But you're still talking 28 complete games. And then, so remember, he had 19 wins. And Billy Martin tried so hard to get him his 20th win that he started him on two days rest in the last game of the season in Milwaukee. And he actually goes 10 innings trying to get this win. He would have had it in the ninth, but he gave up a two-out home run to Ben Ogilvie that tied the game. He would have had his 20th win. Uh, 81, he goes 12-10, and 10, ERA under three, wins game three of the ALDS out here. And Langford was just, again, a guy who pitched every day. He was part of the A's from 77 to 86, uh, but tremendous. 28 complete games, 22 in a row. Number four. Number four, another one of my favorites. A uh, guy the A's acquired in a trade with the Dodgers, Bob Welch. And, and Welch, he was, you know, he burst onto the scene in the 78 World Series when he's striking out Reggie Jackson in game two. And everyone knows him for that. But he was such a man on the mound. 
uh, with a blazing fastball. And then as his fastball started to leave him later in his career, he started to go to this breaking ball. And I always use Bob Wells as an example of a guy who learned how to pitch after his best stuff had left him. Because that's what Welchie did. He learned how to be a breaking ball pitcher, even without the fastball. And he would start guys off with the big bender. And it was 0-1 on every batter. Uh, here's my other favorite Bob Welch story. Bob Welch is probably the only major league player in history to have a song written about him by the Go-Go's. Bob Welch, for a time in the early 80s, dated one of the Go-Go's singers, uh, guitar players, Charlotte Caffey. And she actually wrote a song about him called Turn to You. And if you listen to the lyrics, you can kind of know that it's about Bob Welch because she uses the line, wild dance in your eyes. And if you ever talked to Bob before he unfortunately passed away, Bob always had these crystal blue eyes and they would always be darting because he was always kind of a little ADD, to be honest. He was always going, his attention was going, but he always had this wild dance in his eyes. And, and think about that. He had a song written about him by a member of the Go-Go's. That's awesome. We just really aged ourselves, by the way, with the Go-Go's. <laughs> Go-Go's are timeless. Don't give me that. But so, Welch was fantastic. Obviously, it's 1990 season, 27-6, 2.95 ERA, the Cy Young. Uh, you know, the other Bob Welch thing in the 89 World Series, Game 3, the original Game 3, he was supposed to start that game. But he was hurt. Kurt Young was going to get the start in that game. That earthquake didn't happen. Welch was going to go to the bullpen and give it a try, but he had a hip issue, and it didn't look like it was going to happen. Uh, but he did pitch in the World Series in 88-90 in his great year. Uh, sad that he's gone. He was such a fun guy. He was just an amazing pitcher. And again, I think of guys on the mound, and you think of that bulldog mentality. To me, that was Bob Welch. Number three. Number three. Now we're getting to the three top spots, and I don't. Maybe there's a debate in the order, but these are the three top right-handed starting pitchers in Oakland history. And number three to me is Tim Hudson. Tim Hudson, six-round pick, out of Auburn in '97. There's no way he should have been that low in the draft, but because he was a little under six feet, no one thought he could be a big league pitcher. But think about this: his last year at, at Auburn, as a pitcher, he went 15 and two, with a 2.97. As a hitter, he went. He hit 396 with 18 homers and 95 runs batted in in, a, in an era where the ball wasn't flying off college bats in the 90s. He falls to the sixth round. So Hudson always had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder from that, and he took it. Made his debut in San Diego in 99. Got a, got a base hit in his major league de- debut. Also struck out 11. And then 2000, he goes 20 and 6. But think about this. His last seven starts, the A's are fighting for a division championship. His last seven starts, 7-0, 1.16 ERA, two shutouts. And also in the final game of the year, the A's had to win to clinch the division. Eight scoreless innings. When, Bob, when, when Tim Hudson started for the A's, the A's went 92-39. and 39. He had a 700 winning percentage. A 700 winning percentage. This guy was so good and such a winner and such a bulldog. Uh, I just, he changed the whole culture of the A's. You talk about the three, the big three with Hudson, Mulder, and Zito, but it was Hudson who was the, the leader of that team and the leader, and he set the tone. He changed everything about this from a pitching side, what happened in those early 2000 A's. Number two. Talk about a guy changing the culture and changing everything about, about a franchise. That's Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart comes to the A's in 86. 
He just got released by the Phillies. He had pitched six years in the majors with the Dodgers, Rangers, Phillies, but his career is going nowhere. Comes to the A's in 86. Now he makes his presence known on July 1st of that year. When Pat Corrales decides to, Pat Corrales, the manager of the Indians, decides to charge them out from the dugout and yell at Dave Stewart. And kids, go to YouTube. Do a search, Dave Stewart, Pat Corrales, to see the video. Because he lays them out with one punch after Pat Corrales decides he's going to do a karate kick to Dave Stewart. Lays him out. It's the greatest video. you got to check it out. YouTube, Stewart, Corrales. Now, this is during the interim where Jeff Newman's the interim manager. The A's hire Tony La Russa. Tony La Russa's first call is to Dave Stewart. Because they have a Monday night game at Fenway Park. It's going to be on ABC Monday Night Baseball. And he calls Stu in his hotel room and he says, Stu, you're my you're my starting pitcher. And of course Stu's like, you got it, Tony. Goes out there. What does he do? He beats Roger Clemens. Beats Roger Clemens. I think we hear that over the next seven seasons a lot. Because Dave Stewart took it from that day in 86 and ran with it. Wins 20 games in 90 and uh in 87, wins 20 games in 88, wins 20 games in 80, wins 20 games in 90. Uh does never wins a Cy Young. Always, there's always somebody, right, who beats him out, whether it's Clemens or Viola or Sabanager or even Welch. But four straight 20-win seasons. Oh, in the ALCS for the A's, how about 6-0 and record in eight starts? A's were 8-0 in those games. And we mentioned the starts against Roger Clemens. In his career as an A's pitcher against Roger Clemens in eight starts, how about 8-0 with a 1.80 ERA? taking on the best and defeating the best every chance he got. Is that any good? That's Stu. That's why Stu's in the Oakland Athletics Hall of Fame. And it was, it was a no-brainer. And you think about those A's teams and how great they were, you know, with Ricky and McGuire and Conseco and Eck. But it's Stu. It always comes back to Stu as the heart and soul of that team. Maybe it was because he was from Oakland. Maybe that, that was part of it. But his... Demeanor on the mound. He was your game one starter. There was never a question of that. It was never a question that he was the number one pitcher on that Oakland A's team. And we'll go on to win another World Series with the Toronto Blue Jays. All right. Number one, obviously, is the Hall of Famer. The Hall of Famer. Jim Catfish Hunter. Uh, He's Catfish. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. Uh, You know, he was signed by Charlie Finley uh, at 18 years old. Goes straight to the big leagues in the Kansas City A's. Uh, we've heard the story about the nickname before. It was a nickname that Charlie gave him. He said, we got to give you a nickname. So here's the story. When you were a kid, you got lost. Your parents found you later, and you're holding two catfishes. So your nickname's Catfish. Now repeat it back to me. That was, that, was, that was Charlie Finley giving him a nickname. But it stuck, and it was perfect for him, right, from North Carolina. The A's moved to Oakland in 68 from Kansas City. A month later, there's Jim Catfish Hunter throwing a perfect game. May 8th, 1968. Oh, he also had three hits and three RBI in that game as well. Then four straight 20-win seasons from 71 to 74. Wins a Cy Young in 74, 25 wins. Postseason for the A's, 12 starts. He was 7-2, 2.55 ERA. Oh, and he also got the save in Game 1 of the 74 World Series. He also came out of the bullpen in Game 7 of the 72 World Series. Catfish could do anything. Um, and unfortunately, it was all because of a 
mispayment by Charlie Finley in an inu- a life insurance annuity fund of $50,000 that made Catfish a free agent. If Charlie had just made the payment, Catfish is staying with the A's in 75, and you know what? The A's probably defeat the Red Sox in the ALCS in 75 and have a chance to win another World Series. But because Charlie, being what Charlie was, and trying to fight him on this payment, he gets declared a free agent and signs with the Yankees. But no one can take away what Catfish was with the A's. 131 wins, 77 losses, 600 winning percentage. And just, again, you're, he was your ace. Now, he didn't often start Game 1 of the World Series because he was always pitching in the ALCS. He was your Game 1 starter in the ALCS. And, unfortunately, the A's didn't always sweep those. So it was always Holtzman who started Game 1. But it was always Catfish coming in, pitching the big games. And as we talked about, not only starting, but relieving. Catfish was the man. Truly one of the great right-handed pitchers in the history of the game. Yeah, and people try and look at his numbers and say, well, he only had 200 and some wins as a career. It's like, no, no, you had to watch him pitch and what he would do. Uh, He'd give up home runs. that would always be solo home runs. Uh, With the Yankees, his first year with the Yankees, he wins 20 games again. He leads them to two World Series, right, in 77 and 78. He was no joke of a pitcher. And, again, maybe he didn't throw 95, 96, but he was on the black. He, he would mix his pitches. He was so hard to hit. And if you talk about his generation of players, his teammates, or the guys he competed against, when they bring up the greats of that era, you hear Jim Palmer and you hear Catfish Hunter. No doubt. And he is the one guy that we look up and we see number 27 is retired here. The only right-handed starting pitcher. Obviously, we have Dennis Eckersley, but we'll get to that at another, at another time. The only right-hand pitcher whose number's retired is Catfish Hunter. Yeah, and you know, you look at number 34 up there, right, is also for Raleigh Fingers. Dave Stewart wore 34. I, I've i always thought that they should retire Stu's number. Now, they put him in the Oakland Hall of Fame, which was, which was great, but his number should be up there with Fingers. Other teams have retired two numbers, or one number for two guys. We see that with the Yankees. I don't think it's a stretch. Now, I know the A's sort of have a Hall of Fame, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame criteria for this, this is one guy you can you can lose that criteria for. Dave Stewart's number and his name should be hanging up up there. Another edition of Green and Gold History right here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.